We're live. Hello and welcome. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hello. To our episode on the Vivich. Uh, uh, spooky season. Yes. We're Happy October. Halfway through our spooky season movies. Um, disclaimer. I didn't sleep well last night and my throat is sore. So this is going to be a good chill. I've got a cup of cider. Ah, we're just going to relax and... As the person who wears the headphones and monitors audio, I did not like that ASMR moment. All right, well. What's thou like <laughs> the taste of butter? We also have margarine. If you're vegan, we have Earth Balance. Welcome back, dear viewers, to another episode, and this episode on our great Hallows Eve, halfway Eve of Hallows Eve. I'm joined today with Mariah and Miles, MMS. You know, our if you've never listened before, our usual stick is that we're going to talk about a movie and its production. Um, this one will be a little different, but we'll get into that later, because right now, what we need to do is talk about some movies we've seen recently. Just a quick, you know, summary, thoughts, opinions, recommendations. Mariah, you want to start? Yeah. Uh, recently, Stefan and I watched Miyazaki's Castle in the Sky. Uh, I mean, it, it's not my favorite Miyazaki that I've seen, but I thought the design of the robot was really cool. I mm. really liked that. Uh, a lot more brutal and referential to... World War Two, yeah, and, <laughs> and just God, yes, which I thought was really interesting. So that was kind of like a cool, fresh thing to see in a Miyazaki movie. But yeah, it was it was good. I don't really have much to say besides that. Mm. It was it's fun just trying to get through Miyazaki's filmography, and yeah, yeah I liked when you, it. When you're used to watching, you know, goofy witch kids uh, learn to be good witches, and mm. You know, talking cats. Yeah, and talking cats, and you go, oh, ha ha ha, people are dying. Remember when the Americans dropped the bomb? Do you yeah, remember yeah. that? <laughs> like, oh damn. <laughs> so, what are you? What have you been watching? Um, I watched a lot of things, but what I'm going to talk about is since we did our pirates episode, me and Mariah, we watched the other two pirates movies in the trilogy because there's no other movies that come after the first three, and uh, they're pretty solid. It was, you know, we watched the second one. And when it was done, I was like, I'm kind of hankering. I'm hankering for some more. I mm-hmm. want to see my characters again. I want to see all of this resolve. And I we watched it the next night, right? doesn't usually happen. So it's a solid time. They're not like phenomenal movies. Like they've got their issues, especially the third one. I think some of the hijinks was just a little too over the top for me. But uh, it's good. I like it. We are the pirates who don't, don't do, do anything. anything. Yeah, we've got a real shout out to my. We've got a good fans. religious foundation for this episode going <laughs> yeah. so far. It's only going to go further. Uh, well, let me say what I watched. I watched Elementals, the new Ooh. Pixar movie came out on on Disney Plus. Mm. So I missed it in theaters. Oh, you missed it. Yeah, well, missed it or. Just chose not to. Or go. yeah, when I'll watch it when it comes out on Disney Plus. It was pretty good. Really? Yeah. It uh it's tough because it is basically Zootopia, but with elements instead of that's, animals. That's what I got from it. But it's still pretty good. It looks really good. Why would I watch Zootopia without Judy Hopps? But yeah, I, I would recommend it. It was good. Yeah, though, you know. Just kind of a regular. It came out. It was a movie. It was a regular movie. You know, you watch it, you go, nice. And then you maybe bring it up in light conversation later and you go about your day. Well, with that out of the way, we have a movie to talk about. And that is The Vivitch, which is directed by Robert Eggers. But for those of you who have not seen this movie or are not familiar with this movie, or maybe it's been a while since you've seen it. Today, we have something special. I've written up two summaries that Miles and Mariah are going to read. Two halves of one summary, I should say. And uh, they're going to go ahead and read this blind. So, Miles, you have the first half if you want to take it away. All right. All right. 
And I, I would like to uh, reiterate, I have not read this. So bear, bear with me. Uh, in this movie, stinky, unbathed New England settlers <laughs> are kicked out of their 1630 settlement for a religious dispute, being stinky. And so the father, William, pregnant wife, Catherine, she's pregnant? Yeah, at the oh. beginning. And then they have the infant. Oh. Teenage daughter, Thomason, preteen son, Caleb, and fraternal twin children, Mercy and Jonas, live their best lives on their own farm in some godforsaken forest where they cannot be smelled. One day, Thomason is playing with newborn infant Samuel. Samuel absolutely destroys Thomason at a game of peekaboo by simply <laughs> vanishing before. <laughs> but it turns out Samuel was actually not that good, and a witch stole him and turned him into a flying potion. After this, wife Catherine is grief-stricken and cries all day. Boom! The boys grind for that cash money by going hunting, and dad reveals he made that side hustle by selling his wife's silver cup. The twins spend their time playing with the cute and cuddly black Philip, who they say talk to them. And Thomason is also, I would like to point out, Black Phillip is a goat. <laughs> yeah. This yeah. isn't yeah, some really old racist movie. <laughs> and Thomason is called to an emergency meeting. There she is voted the imposter and blamed for losing the silver cup. What the sus? For the older crowd, sus means suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> Caleb and Thomason overhear the parents talking about sending Thomason away to another family. Spoiler alert, this would have actually been for the best. The next morning, the eldest kids, Thomason and Caleb, go into the woods alone to check the animal traps. Caleb is caught lacking by a rabbit and drops his piece. Thomason falls from a horse and <laughs> TKOs while Caleb gets lost in the woods. Caleb meets a hot single mom in his area outside a lonely hovel in the woods, and she kindly kisses him. Mariah, what happens next? Now awake and rescued, Thomason is marked as double sus by mom because she was around two kids when they disappeared and lost the silver cup. But dad self-reports and admits to stealing the cup to defend Thomason. Caleb returns the next night naked and feverish. <laughs> just, just like... Just like my trip to Tijuana. <laughs> and the next day, Caleb has some wild convulsions, proca proclaims his love for Christ, and dies. <laughs> Just like my trip to Tijuana. <laughs> Everyone's favorite fraternal twins, Mercy and Jonas, accuse Thomason of using witchcraft on Caleb. Because remember, she was with him when he disappeared. Mm -hmm. But then Thomason accuses the kids of witchcraft for talking with Black Philip. With his good vibes eviscerated, the dad locks the kids in the goat house. It's there the kids wake up and see a witch laugh, and it's in the house that Catherine has hallucinations of her missing children returning. But turns out she's actually breastfeeding a raven. William wakes up and finds the goat house destroyed, the goats dead, twins missing, and Thomason unconscious again. Black Philip gores William just out of the blue. And Catherine rejoices in her daughter's survival by hugging her really tight with her hands around her neck. So Thomason hugs her back with a bill hook to the face. Aw, family love. Uh, then Thomason makes a deal with the devil by signing his petition, gets naked, and floats around the sky with the other naked ladies in the woods. Yeah, they, uh, that's the movie. The end. The Vvitch. Uh, it's a summary of the Vvitch. <laughs> the summary. This is a summary of the Vvitch. Directed by Robert Eggers. It uh, technically released in 2015, but didn't see like box office release till 2016. So if you look it up, you'll see 2015 or 2016. You don't need to know that. As you know, by the end credits of this movie, it's uh, it tells you that the movie's based on a lot of mythology and lore and folk tales of witches. So I thought it'd be fun for this episode that we talk about that lore. Especially because there's not a whole lot of production to talk about with this movie. And uh, let's learn about witches. It's Halloween. I don't know about you guys. I didn't know a lot about witches. I don't know a whole lot about witches. So I just know they exist, but I'm like, I don't know where they come from, all that. So in early human history, before Big Pharma and Big Society, 
we had natural forces such as fertility, harvest, nature, spirituality, all those things. They were associated with the female body because like women give birth and stuff and they nurture, blah, blah, blah. But anyways, because of this, there was a lot more female deities and goddesses and people worshipped a lot more, you know, of these female goddesses. And from this come our wise women. Wise women were women who removed impurities and cured diseases and helped infertility. And these acts would be known as witchcraft. But, you know, with, with great power comes the fact that people are scared that you might use that power for no, no good. Unless it's me. Um, I've had this conversation with Mariah. I am incorruptible. I could handle any amount of power because I am infallible. I often tell her that I would make a very good dictator of the entire world because the social reform would be uh, amazing. I would first, <sighs> first order business, ban all bananas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oddly enough, though, I have also thought <laughs> of what it would be like to be a world dictator and how awesome I would be I'd at be it so because I would it. be uncorruptible. I'd be uncorruptible. It's just a white boy summer thing, I guess. Yeah. With the the emergence of more powerful male gods, especially with like Greek mythology, and we've got like Zeus and and then also, you know, the god, goddesses in their worship diminishes a bit. And then when the Bible comes around and we see Miss Eve's quote unquote betrayal in the Garden of Eden, this really cements to people that like women are bad. We don't like women. Yeah. <laughs> Mariah Eve, gets it. She, she hates it. women. She hates women. She wakes up every day and is like, I can't believe. Anyways, Eve herself was actually believed to be a mortal version of an earlier goddess called Ashura. And this goddess was associated with symbols such as snakes and a sacred tree. How uh, sure of that are you? But anyways, with the Bible... Neither of you laughed, so I I, I know. It was, honestly, it was the slap <laughs> threw me off. It, it triggered the flight instinct <laughs> over the like comedy instinct, and I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. But anyways, with, with the uh, Bible cinematic universe, the symbols of a snake in a tree just really threw off everyone's perception of Ashura and witches. And uh, witchcraft was condemned as a pagan practice. Deuteronomy 19.10 tells us, let no one be found among you. That's the among us sound. Who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or consults the dead. But so that's some of our early lore for uh, witches. But wait, so witches outdate like Greek mythology? Yeah, they go way back. Oh shit! This goes back to like before like civilization was really yeah, like, forming. Like it was just like dumb, dumb Neanderthal like, tribes shit. and stuff. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. But let's jump back. Or actually, let's jump forward to 2015, because we're uh, getting behind ourselves here, where we find a young graduate, Mr. Robert Eggers. He was a young graduate of New York's American Musical and Dramatic Academy. So this man was in theater. He liked theater. He liked costume. He liked plays. But then uh, he started doing some short films, and he liked horror short films. He did okay, but he wanted to make a script. So Eggers had teamed up with a previous editor for one of his short films, which he actually did a short film of A Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe. And his editor, Louisa Ford, was going to, you know, move on to this feature idea he had. That's, that's the one with the uh, heart underneath the floorboards, He's under the right? floorboards. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And he self-reports. And he <laughs> does self-reports. It's crazy how relevant Among Us is to this whole thing. Um, insanely relevant. Once we get into the actual movie, it is yeah, very... Yeah, it's incredibly relevant. If you haven't played Among Us, it's free. Anyways, he gives the script to Louisa Ford, his editor, and then she passes it off to producers, and he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I wasn't ready. Like, I'm not done. Like, I'm. He was horrified that she was like, okay, I'll go pass it off to people. <laughs> but apparently they liked it, and they're like, I think you should simplify it a little bit. This seems kind of obscure. And so he's like, okay. So he took, you know, their... Uh, advice and implemented to the script apparently during this time it was passed around to alfonso Cuaron, which i don't know if you guys know too well but he's a yeah. prominent director he genuinely did. do you expect me to know that name he did children of men i don't know if you know that one no have again. you seen the third harry potter uh prisoner of azkaban so what the okay i have seen that one he directed yeah. that mm-hmm. okay okay you got me there, there you, you go. go there's more witches yeah a, a whole lot of them a too. whole lot of them except those ones are cringe yeah no baby pulping no it would have been better with that especially yeah. if it was ron 
Anyways, we've now secured some investors because Louisa, you know, passed around some scripts. We've got a lot of investors. And the plan was to shoot this in New England. But tax incentives in New England are non-existent. And they've only got like a $4 million budget. So they decided to relocate to Canada, which it was said that Canada paid for like half of this movie. So the tax incentives were very good. Damn. Eggers was like, okay, that's fine. Eggers wanted very specific trees and a very specific kind of clearing for the setting of this movie. And he's like, you know what? Canada, they've got trees. They've got lots of trees. They do. They're like, this should be fine. Wrong. Oh. We live in the 20th century and we be logging in this bitch. Yeah. yeah. We've been logging. All human existence is just how many trees can we cut down in a short amount of time? How bad can, can I be? be? Wow, the we, references are insane we're, today. We're cookie clicking. The like the ram the ram drive is like <laughs> yeah. Um, so they kept going further and further into Canada to try and find these stupid trees that they wanted. And two months had passed of scouting, and they couldn't find the trees they needed. And yet Eggers would drive home to New Hampshire, and he's like, "Oh, there's a spot. There's a spot. There's a spot. Like there's 20 spots I could film it, but we can't do it in New England. So this sucks." Eventually, they found the right trees, the right hemlocks, and the right white pines that he needed. And this was outside Kiosk, Ontario, which was the nearest Ontario. town. Ontario. Yeah. I, how, what would you know? What would you know? I watched Northern Lion, what would and you he know? is Canadian, and uh, thus... I'm in a zone. I don't know. Maybe someone from Ontario will... Uh, Ontario, 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 Ontario. You don't you know. I'm French. Anyways, Kiosk... You're French? Yeah, I'm French. Yeah, you... oh. De toi. Uh, Kiosk Ontario had about 60 people in it, and this is kind of where they based out of. Wait, I'm sorry, this place got fucking 60 people? 60 people. It was small. 6D. A total of 6 times 10. Yes, correct. Fuck, that's like less than six classes of a high school. Yeah, it's not a lot. I think I looked it up briefly. I think it used to be like a railroad town or something. Like, it it was just not big. How do you, how do you stay afloat with 60 people my san jose brain cannot wrap the idea of see my I mean, alaska brain is like yeah. It like yeah yeah i don't know you figure it out man. it's just like there's two billion people i know within us right now within like a 10 mile radius there's like a million people yeah kill me yeah they would then begin to start um constructing the sets that we need and they had the help of british and american museums 17th century agriculture experts to construct the cottage, the goat house, and the unfinished barn. And they were using the same building materials and the same techniques that 1600 Puritans would have used. They even had an expert thatcher and carpenter come in from New England to help them put it all together. That's very cool. Which is, Robert Eggers is a simp for that kind of stuff. He did the same exact thing for the Northmen with the like Viking longhouses and the boats. Yeah, he's like... That's why he was like, I want these specific trees. And it's kind of oh, like, I you don't see. need these specific trees. But oh, like, he's okay, just like yeah. really particular about that. Also, Eggers investors, they knew. They knew he had that dog in him. So they gave him a really long leash and allowed him a lot of creative decision with this movie. And he knew with filming in the Canadian wilderness, it's kind of cold. And you're out in the middle of nowhere. The nearest town has 60 people in it. There's not a lot of amenities that you're going to need. So he needs actors that are tough. They're trusting, and they're compassionate for one another. Because at the end of the day, you're a team. you got to make sure everyone's doing well. So they actually, they actually did casting in England because they wanted people with the right accents and uh, dialects. This is Anya Taylor-Joy's first role, first feature role. She was in like some TV show stuff. Ralph Einson is the dad. It's probably one of his best roles. He's also in, in Harry Potter. He plays Amicus Caro. Caro? Oh. Yeah. That's for all you potheads out there. Interesting. Yeah, I Ralph Einstein has probably one of like top five favorite voices. He's got a he's got he's a, good. Uh, the, his the voice deep is really low. He's yeah. really cool. I like it. He's yeah, also in good. Chernobyl. He has a character in Chernobyl. He's very good. Um, but after they did some cast, there's actually not a lot to say about casting. They just they cast some people. Um, <laughs> and after they casted some people, they had rehearsals for about a week where hold they on, were like, "Hold on, hold on, tell me about this child, this boy that plays Caleb." Do you have anything on him? Because I have some more coming up. My my boy, crushes he crushed it. He's it. not really been in anything else, and there's nothing really to say about like how they cast him and they just cast him. But I'll I'll give you some little pieces here in in a moment. They had a week of rehearsals where Eggers 
and everyone really tried to build up the relationship because they wanted to be like a family and he wanted to build up that family so that he can then tear it all apart. And as a younger man, Egger stated that he thought the concept of messing with actors mentally was kind of cool, <laughs> but, but he totally disagrees with it now. And okay. for this film, he disagreed okay. with He's talking about like when he was a young, young man before he started making movies. Uh, he thought the concept was cool. And he even, he, I found a quote of him saying, if you're going to explore these dark places, you have to be able to climb back out. Otherwise, you're damaging people. So true. This is, cool. this is a good note for Kubrick. If you could please listen to this from the grave, yeah. that would be nice. I yeah, think please don't fucking torture people. When I think you want a couple people are owed apologies. So whenever you can get around to that, that would be wonderful. Just a couple. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, funny enough, um, this movie took a lot of inspo from The Shining, as well as other movies. But like you can see it, the family in the wilderness in isolation going crazy. The music is kind of similar. It's a lot of droning and music. And, you know, so there's a lot of similarities there. But preventing trauma is especially important for children. Robert Eggers does not have children. He doesn't have a whole lot of experience with children. And so he actually had Ralph Einson who plays the dad, coach Harvey Scrimshaw, who was a little boy, because he's like, Ralph Einstein was a father, and he's like, you know children better, you know young boys better. Like, I think you're going to be able to communicate with him better and, like, help coach him for this. But generally, for the kids, they were given, like, disney versions of the story. They didn't really know what was going on. And then it was all a lot of modeling directions. So it was like, stand here, scream, open your mouth, widen your eyes, breathe. So, right. like, they didn't, like, really know what was going on. Okay. And That's so... That's probably for the best. Yes, absolutely for the best. So, like, for instance, in that ending scene where it's, like, they're in the barn and then the witch shows up and laughs and they're like, ah, you know, of course, those are shot two different, like, there's no creepy witch in front of them. Yeah, they're just... which, can I say, one of my, I didn't, when we get to the discussion, I'll talk about it mm. more about how I feel about this film, but... Um, one of my favorite moments is when they're all trapped in the goat barn mm. and the and Mercy and Jonas are looking at Black Phillip and then in unison they just look at Thomason. Mm-hmm. That is a great shot. Yes. yes. <laughs> Very witchy one might say. As if the goat was like, Hey, you know what would be really fucking funny is if you both looked at your sister. Ready? Three, two, one, go. It's like an impractical jokers bit. They had an earpiece in. <laughs> That's right. for all the impractical Mercy, jokers. Fans Mercy, fall down and start convulsing. Jonas, you too. I was I was actually thinking about that because there's that one bit when Caleb is getting Caleb is like dying and he's yeah. mm. he's like calling out and stuff, and then Jonas and Mercy are they're on the ground and then they're just breathing really fast. Mm-hmm. And in my head, I was like, I bet he literally just directed them to say like, see how fast you can breathe, yeah. or something like that yeah. to get those moments yeah so it's a really good lesson in directing children yeah. especially directing them in the sense where they you don't want them to know exactly hey, what's going on you guys want to have some fun why don't you like wiggle on the ground a little bit yeah just like you know get it all get all the tension out just wiggle. show me your best worm impression yeah. show me your best worm impression pretend you're glued to the ground and you're trying to get up well yeah and i mean again if you're talking about shining as inspiration i know that kubrick was actually very kind with the kid who plays kid Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. so he wasn't really aware that he was in a horror movie yeah and so i think that's obviously the best approach to making sure that yeah you don't damage kids so that's i don't know that's cool they got malleable little soft brains both physically and mentally yeah actually for fun eggers what he did is he brought that naked witch onto set to just scare the shit out of the Actually, kids. Actually, what Eggers did is he took the infant and put him on a pottery wheel and shaped his soft infant head into a cone. And then mashed him up. <laughs> and then mashed him up for real. It's called method directing. Anyways, that's enough of production. Let's jump back to our witches, shall we? Let's jump back to the 14th century. Anyone know what happened in the 14th century? Uh, witch trials. The Black Death. All right, well, that was a complete... The Black Death. And as we know, with uncontainable disease or virus comes a lot of mass hysteria and a lot of people want to blame stuff on other stuff Mm. sounds familiar it sounds like something we went through a couple of years ago (laughs) so this is something that you know humans are rather prone to i also blamed witches for covid (laughs) i whoa 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 i wasn't naming names (laughs) (laughs) but specifically at these times because everyone was so god-fearing everything 
every like misfortune was because God was punishing you or the devil was coming to get you because you failed God. So our previously discussed religious outsiders, the pagans and the wise women and these witches and the witchcraft were suspect for heresy. And so they're like, you witches, you're causing the plague and you're an evil and you're making the world evil. And so here we have a lot of persecution. We have a lot of theories coming about too, a lot of rumors about witches. It's in this time that we get the rumor that witches can fly. One of the reasons might be simply because that's kind of an unnatural thing for a human to do. So it's scary, but also because it was believed that witches used a lot of hallucinogenic drugs when treating people and also on themselves. And so when you are high as balls on some mushroom and then this lady's <laughs> looming over you, you're probably like, she's flying, she's flying. And then here it's also believed that witches fly using potions made of baby fat by killing babies because babies are unbaptized and they are full of sin. The belief is that you are born with sin and unless you are baptized, you will just simply go to hell if you so die as a baby. sin floats is what I'm hearing. Yeah, sin floats. Cover yourself in sin and you will float. <laughs> um, so that's why they, they, they were snatching up them babies. And then, and then the brooms come about because there were some pagan traditions that used brooms in the rituals. So then it was just association. Um, witches here are also believed to use familiars, which are magical creatures. I don't know if you guys know what familiars are. They're like oh, animals. I know about it from d and I'm yeah. familiar. I'm like, I think you guys are probably familiar, but they're like magical animals. I, I got them up. <laughs> they're like magical animals, and they were thought to help the witches. And some of the most common familiars are ravens and hares, which we see really? in, in our movies. I wouldn't right? have guessed hares. I would have thought like cats. Yeah, hares. I think hares specifically for the New England side of things uh-huh. were believed to be magical foreboding creatures. Yeah, because ravens, I get. I feel, Yeah, I actually feel like I've never heard of the hare thing before. Hares are scary. Creepy. I don't like hairs. Yeah. Rabbits well, are cool, but like hairs are like long and lanky and like a big bulgy eyes. I don't know. But anyways, it's also believed that witches had a special teat for feeding their familiar, which is also alluded to in our movie when the mom is seen getting her boob picked by a raven. Yeah, I didn't like that part. So it's yeah, not like but... a third boob. It's like one boob is just special. Yeah, for... it was like they had like a special mystery third option. And some other mythology and beliefs were that witches had sold their soul to the devil in face-to-face deals by signing their name in a book, and that they congregated in groups at night to worship the devil, and these were called Sabbaths. Both of these things are in our movie. Like, Whoa. Black Sabbath? I mean, I think that's where they get their name from, yeah. That's cool. Um, at these Sabbaths, there would be new dancing, promiscuous sex, feasting on infants, until Satan shows up and has an orgy with everyone. This sounds like the perfect Yo, girls' night. Where the fuck do I sign Girl up? dinner, girl night. Am I right, fellas? <laughs> <laughs> but basically, all of these rumors and beliefs come about because it was like the worst thing people could think of in the 14th and 16th century. Right, yeah. Where they were like, what's like the worst thing someone could do against society? This is it. Eat babies, get naked. Yeah, have pr- promiscuous sex. Satan. And so with this new mass witch hysteria fluted by the Black Plague, we need witch hunters. We need people to track down our witches, but they need help. So thus enters the Malleus Maleficarum, which is Latin for the Hammer of Witches. It was a book written in 1487 to help witch hunters. It's like a user manual or tutorial video. And this book was a New York Times bestseller because people went nuts with witch fever. They were they were down bad for hunting these witches. What's interesting to me, see, so this is 1487. Mm. I think... Like printing? Uh, No. Oh. What I was going to get to is just the fact that I'm... I'm not, like, super familiar with, like, witch history and all that kind of stuff. But, like, what I do know is more about, like, Salem witch trials. Mm-hmm. Because I'm a stinky little American. North American so education. I just pay attention to America. Yeah. Um, so the fact that that happened like in the 1600s and you're talking about mm-hmm. 1480s, this basic, the, the witch hysteria basically covered 200 years. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, it makes sense, mm. but I guess I just haven't really thought about it before yeah. like that. 
It's wild. But they made this book. Why? Also, why are they going to come out with a banger title like it's, that? It's cool. And this book was believed to be the second most popular book next to the Bible at the time. People love this book. Bruh. And it had wonderful tips like never ask, are you a witch? Ask them, when did you become a witch? Which is definitely not leading. Um, <laughs> we also have this little gem that says, any witness, no matter the credentials, may testify against an accused. So just anyone can testify against someone accused of being a witch. And it outlined the depravity of witches and perpetuated the belief of the time that women were sexually vulnerable beings and easy prey to evil, which is because of the Bible and Eve. They just thought that women were just weaker, I guess. And here's a lovely quote. Am I right, fellas? Am I right, fellas? <laughs> I was going to say, man. The old ball and chain. <sighs> Ugh. I my, my wife's a battle axe. I hate women. That's why I only kiss guys. But we also get this wonderful quote from the Malleus Maleficarum that is, what else is a woman but a foe to friendship? Oh, my God. They are evil, lecherous, vain, and lustful. All witchcraft comes from carnal lust, which is in women insatiable. Damn, I didn't know Andrew Tate came out with a book. <laughs> this is a bit, yeah. Yeah, what's, did good. What's interesting is... Now that you've said that, towards the end of the film, mm. after Mercy and Jonas have been taken and William has been gored and the mom comes out and she and Thomason are fighting and she like mm. pushes her up against the house and she calls her a slut, mm. which for me, I was like, whoa, what, the, what, what does that have to do with it? And yeah. then, you know, you reading that quote, it's like, yeah, she's just doing hot girl somewhere. Pop off, girly. And this is, you don't really need to know this, but in terms of the Black Death and the witch accusations, in most cases, a lot of villages had like apothecaries and people that helped the, like, the village. And most of the time, these were women because it was believed women were closer to like magical properties. And again, going back to our early human history. And when bad things happen to a village, it was usually blamed on these people because they had closer connection to magical properties. And this also included tasks such as cooking and midwifery were considered magical. Boggles my mind that they're like, <laughs> hey, we need your help uh, doing cooking and midwife stuff. Uh, you're a real asset to our, our group, our little tribe. Oh, what's that? Yeah. Harold, you got a splinter? Okay, we're going to fucking kill you now. You you said exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> I was going to say that despite these people having like provided cures and delivered people's babies, they just turned on them like that. And a lot of it was because of this book. And also said that the people who were trying to help the most were the ones who were being accused. A couple hundred years passed, and by the end of the 1600s, the witch hunting hysteria was at its highest. Thousands were arrested and brought to inquisitors. And it's here that they were searched for the mark of the devil, which could be be enough to condemn them to death. And the mark of the devil could be a scar. It could be a mole. It could be a birthmark. It could be a temporary tattoo. It could be whatever they felt like. But even if you had the mark of the devil, you cannot be sentenced to death without a confession. So the workaround was you just torture them until you get one. And it's here that they came up with a lot of new fun ways to torture people. A lot of the medieval torture that like we hear about and we know about came about because of the witch persecution. In fact, the phrase third degree can be traced back to this time when there were three degrees of torture, third being fatal. Oh. So there's a fun little thing. So, you know, they had Iron Maiden, thumb screws, head clamps, watching Coco Melon. <laughs> I remember uh, going through the Tower of London and they have this whole little hall or like section that's all about medieval torture devices. Damn, some of that shit's rough. Well, yeah. let me rephrase. All of that shit is rough. I remember going to the Museum of Crime and Punishment, and oh. there's a section for medieval crime and punishment. And one of the things they did to see if you were a criminal is they would get a rod, like glowing hot, mm. and they would ask you a question, and then you had to grab it and answer. And if you felt pain, you were lying. Because obviously God wouldn't let you get hurt yeah. if you were telling the truth. Well, anyways, with this torture and these torture methods, some of our torturers felt 
compassion for their victims. And they're like, I kind of want to stop. I don't want to do this. But thankfully, the Malleus Maleficarum covers this. And it tells us that witches use their evil charms and spells to make you feel compassion for them. Oh, thank goodness. Whew, thank goodness. I, I, was, I was thinking about stopping. But yeah. now I know that it's their evil, wily ways. I'll keep going. What's crazy is like, you know, why, why was witch hysteria so rampant? Like, why was there thousands of people being accused? Like, how is this happening? How, are, how is there this much suspicion? Well, the issue was, if you torture someone long enough and always demand they give you names of co-conspirators, they will eventually give you names. And then if you torture those names long enough, they will eventually give you names. So it was just people giving names to make them stop torturing them and then to finally kill them. And so it just keep getting larger and larger and larger. And one of them in Würzburg, Germany, Germany had it particularly hard, but in Würzburg, Germany, 600 people were condemned to death. 19 of them were priests and 41 were children. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So oftentimes when people had to name names, they would pick the people that were like, you know, looked down upon as the beggars. It was the mm, widows. It the was easily targeted and not protected. Yeah. Some, again, hysteria is a hell of a drug, and that's like yeah, our main. That's our main theme of our movie is the hysteria and the paranoia. And by the end of the 1600s, anywhere from 60,000 to 300,000 people are attributed to have died from all of this. And with that, the burning times, as they're called in Europe, is coming to an end. But then it spread to our new world, which is America. I sang this that. Is, I sang that in the Canadian anthem. This is where yes, our yes, <laughs> our sweet American educational system starts coming in, and we can learn about mm-hmm. the Salem witch trials. Well, in New England is where our writer director Robert Eggers grew up, and he was really in love with the lore and witches as a child. He often visited the Plymouth Plantation in, like, I think Massachusetts. And growing up in that region, there's a lot of, you know, all the kids have stories about a witch down the block or a witch in the woods. And, I mean, think about, like, Paranorman. I mean, that was a movie we covered a while back where it's that that same kind of, like, oh, there's witches and it's it's part of the community. It's part of the lore. And he was really into that. And when he was like, I want to make a horror movie, I want to make it, he actually wanted to make a very personal movie. Because he wanted to go back to that childlike superstition and that paranoia of like, there's a witch out there. For that reason, he's like, this is a really important movie for me. And his other attempts to make the movie, people said, were just too weird or too obscure, which is funny because this one, I would argue, is also very weird. So I can't imagine what else it would be like. I can only look at the lighthouse and imagine because that one, that one's did he do the obscure. Yes. Ah. He did the lighthouse and the Northman. But anyways, he went about doing a lot of intense research and learning about the history and folklore of witches, particularly in the colonies. In fact, in some pamphlets and papers, he saw witch spelt with two Vs, and that's why he decided to title it The Vivich instead of The Witch. Mr. Eggers always prioritizes historical accuracy and folklore, as we've seen in all of his movies. But you might be saying, Stefan, historical accuracy, witches, witches aren't real. Stefan... Historical accuracy, witches aren't real. How? Glad you said that, Miles. Well, the concept for this movie was he wanted to make like a Puritan's worst nightmare. He wanted to make what would be like a spooky movie for a Puritan. You know, like it's it's all the mythology, it's all the fears, it's all the superstition that they had at the time. Very niche audience. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> you're not gonna get a lot of sales with that one. So that's uh, that's how he went about approaching this movie, and with that. I think it's time, dear listeners, that we talk a little bit about witches in the colonies. I'm sure more than anything, people are familiar with the Salem witch trials, and that's the one we're going to talk about, if you already know about it. Boo-hoo. I'm going to talk about it again. But the Salem witch trials happened about 1692, and following the Salem witch trials, in a couple of months, about 200 people were condemned as witches. 14 were women and 5 were men. So Wait. 200 were condemned condemned not all of them killed though i see okay they were just condemned or imprisoned or banished um but we need to figure out like how did this happen how how does this happen well first of all massachusetts salem for the last 200 years it's been filled with tons of religious divide tons of conflict with the native americans persecution from england i mean the puritans themselves fled england because they were like your religion is stupid so they left and then they showed up there and 
first of all, we see some of that religious divide in our movie at the beginning of our movie. Mm -hmm. We see them having debates about religion and blah, blah, blah. And here we also have that same concept of every misfortune has a supernatural explanation to it. There's never a logical one. So it's like, my cow died, probably because Sarah swore at it like a month ago. That must be it. My bread is stale. God has cursed me. And so the origins of this incident is debated very heavily, but it is thought to have started from a reverence household and was incited by a children's game, which is kind of similar to a movie. We see them accusing the twins because they talk with a goat and they have their games. Um, but anyways, this reverend's daughter and niece were playing an innocent game with the household slave. And supposedly the kids were playing with a crystal ball, which was a glass of water with a raw egg inside. And they would try and conjure images out of the crystal ball. One girl. <laughs> I was, I was going to say, like, that's really weird. And then I just remembered that making I, a potion. Uh, yeah, I, I used to <laughs> um, in my backyard when I was little, we had like this. It was like a baseball bat, but imagine it was like really big around so like you couldn't miss if you swung it yeah the and the, classic little kid baseball yeah bat. like huge but the, the the top came off of it okay so essentially we just had a giant pitcher and so then we would uh put it in our little creek and like fill it with mud and grass and we would make little potions so i'm like i can't really say much about this kid putting just a raw yeah. egg because i'm sure if i had like chickens or something i'd be putting an egg in my little dirty little potion in my yeah. weird little it's baseball bat thing. Yeah, you got to think you're a kid and you're like, I want to make images show up, but I need a thing in there to make the image. And you're just like, I have an egg. Yeah, egg. there's a fucking egg over there. Let's just put the egg in. Anyway, I was going to be like, that's weird. And then I remembered what I used to do. So. Kids be doing whatever the fuck they please. Yeah. Mm -hmm. egg. Any, any, egg. Anyway. Yeah. So um, they are trying to conjure images. And supposedly one girl claimed to have seen the image of a coffin in the crystal ball. And she was thrown into convulsions of shock, like in our movie. And nine other girls were doing this within days. When they were, it was all the rage. Yeah, it was all the rage. So for whatever reason, a bunch of other little girls were also just convulsing. When they questioned the girls, whatever that means, I don't really know. Um, the little girls revealed the name of three witches that caused their position: the household slave a poor beggar woman, and a widow rumored to have had an affair with a servant. Almost like they have targeted the most lowly in yeah. their societal class. But we need to ask ourselves, why did the adults buy this? Well, first of all, they're very superstitious. And they're like, oh, God. I'm personally a little stitious. Yeah, I'm, I'm mega-stitious. Uh, so they were like, oh, it must be God. But also there's a theory that it was um, political orchestration and that the parents picked names of people that they didn't like and said that the daughters gave those names so that they could then ostracize and punish. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's that also would check out. Yeah, punish likely. those people. <laughs> but we have to ask ourselves, why did the little girls start convulsing? I don't know. Well, it's just like, well, no, no, no. There, there's lots of reasons, and it's very debated. You never know. There could be a psychological condition. There could be an illness going about. Or there's always the theory that they were being deliberately deceptive because kids do like attention. Kids and, are fucked up. And like, kids do like control. As goofy and silly as kids can be sometimes, they are also highly manipulative. Mm -hmm. And also, these are little girls they are not only children, but they are women. So they are the most controlled commodity within their society. So if given an opportunity to sort of, you know, have a little control themselves, they may have taken it. But that's only theory. I'm not going to, you know, I don't even, I think, I think that's a bit of a stretch. Well, but. that and, because there was a whole thing I read once about like one nun in a missionary was like meowing a whole bunch. <laughs> And then, like, by the end of the week, all the nuns were just meowing. It's just, like... I don't know. Sometimes... Human is just, like, yeah, all right, one's doing it. I'm going to do it, too. Wake up, sheeple. It's like Crocs. Yeah. Everyone's wearing Crocs. Am I right? Yeah, it's just like Crocs. I want mm. the Lightning McQueen Crocs. Yeah, see, it's got her. I want Shrek Crocs. 
Not Lenny McQueen cross. After this, about 24 villages were, you know, infected with this hysteria. But eventually it stopped. You want to know why? Some of the witch hunters may have gone a little too far. And they accused the wife of the Massachusetts governor of being a witch. And then they're like, all right, we're done. <laughs> That's too far. We're done. And so then they you just... accused the poor and helpless, but not the Yeah, you went for wife. someone with a slight amount of power. No, nah, we're not doing this anymore. Also, it's believed that we now are getting science and we're getting logical explanations. We're getting things like, oh, maybe my bread is not stale because God cursed me. Maybe I just need to put it in like a little container or something. Yeah, maybe that four-day-old meat that I left out was just bad and gave me horrible shits and it wasn't God. <laughs> to the point where it's, I think it's funny now because we do have like modern day witches, you know, people are like, oh, stones and they have their little hexes and rituals just go on TikTok, you'll find them. Our reaction to that now is the polar opposite of how people were reacted to it then. Where now we look at it and we're like, right, and we move on. Yeah. But back then it would have been like dead, <laughs> dead. I'm sorry, did you just say I'm, just like an Aquarius, dead. 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 But that brings us to the end of our mythology and lore. And we have, with all this lore, we have the foundation of our story. We've got children's games sparking hysteria. We've got children convulsing. We've got religious divides. We've got superstition. We've got loved ones turning on each other. Deals with the devil, Sabbaths, hares and ravens, special teats, flying around with baby fat potions. All of it's in the movie. All of this lore is in the movie. Plus, we have the religious symbols of the Puritans themselves. We've got an apple, which is a symbol of self-indulgence in the forbidden, as told by the Bible. And we have the exile from the plantation at the beginning, which is an allusion to a certain garden. And mm. we have lots of nudity as being presented as something that's wicked, right? At the end, she's told to remove her clothes because she's going to be a witch and she's going to be evil. The baby is naked, and because he's born with sin, he's seen as evil. The witches are naked. When Caleb returns from the forest, he's naked. So nudity is associated as being a bad thing in this movie. And then, of course, we have Satan disguised as an animal, as he does himself a snake in the Bible. We get a lot of religious and witch lore in this movie. Plus, we have the concept that each character commits a sin. I mean, they commit many sins, according to the Puritans. But the father admits to prideful conceit. He admits to being too prideful about his religious interpretations of the Bible as opposed to the plantation. The son is lustful for his sister. And the Bible says that any man who looks at a woman with lust is already guilty in their heart. The twins commune with the devil. Also, they are not dutiful in their work. The mom covets. And they're twins. And the, the biggest sin that is also unforgivable mm. in any way, and all twins are doomed. All twins need to be rounded <laughs> up and shot to the moon. Suze, are you listening? Do you hear that? Sorry, that's my twin. That's a shout out for my twin because moon. I'm a twin. I if you have didn't a twin know. made of wax, biotin, and I stab it with needles. Not only do I have a twin, but I have two little twin sisters as well. Mm -hmm. My family be crazy, yo. Wow, so you guys really communed with the devil. You should have related huh? to this movie, huh? My father is a pastor. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dad. They're not going to listen to this episode. It's okay. With all these things mixed together, we, we have our movie. A movie that premiered at Sundance, was acquired by A24, and was given a worldwide release in 2016. It had a $4 million budget. Wait, it was acquired by A24? Yes. Oh, so yeah. they didn't help produce it. They no. just helped distribute it. Yes. Oh, okay. And it made $40 million in the box office. A decent amount for a little indie film. And uh, that's our movie. I've got like little things to talk about. The cinematography. Yeah, now we get to goof around about the fun stuff. Yeah, the fun stuff. The cinematography, a lot of inspiration came from Igmar Bergman. Things like The Seventh Seal. And also Carl Theodore Dreyer, who did The Passion of Jeanne d'Arc. And a movie called Vampire. So that's a lot of that like very stable camera work, very fluid I really like the cinematography, especially in the lighthouse. It's the same director of photography. His name is, oh no, Jaron Blaschke. I don't know how to pronounce the last name. Jaron. And as I already told you two before, all of the lighting was natural lighting, with the exception of some of the nighttime shoots where they needed moonlight. 
but it was all natural lighting with candlelight. Really? Pretty cool. Hold on. Yeah. So the scene where they're sitting around and it's like fucking two candles. That one that one might be classic because they just said in the quote, Robert Eggers was like, it was all natural lighting, all candlelight with the exception of some night shoots. So like, I don't know if that classifies yeah. as one of the night shoots because that scene I, was that, at night. Yeah. So I don't, I'm not sure about so, that. So one. all the day stuff was just. Yeah. I mean, they probably had like bounces and negative fills and stuff, but right. natural lighting. And then as I discussed, they shot in 66 to one aspect ratio, which is funny because it just kind of pushes in the edges a little bit. It's been used since the 50s, and the DP liked it because he felt like it made things a little claustrophobic and heightened, well, the height of the frame. So, you know, it makes the trees look just a little taller and just a little more looming, but also kept the insides of the cottage real close and claustrophobic. Stefan, I am not a Puritan. Mm. I know not of thy sins. Yes. Why does the devil tell her that she can have some butter? Well, yeah. Miles, at the time, the Catholic Church had banned butter. For what reason? It was seen as decadent. <laughs> um, oh, the butter is too the decadent. The butter is decadent. So it was, actually, it was actually seen as a way to divide the classes, actually. So it was like the rich people can have butter, but if you're poor, you cannot have butter. Really? Yeah. I can't go one day without butter. Hoorah. I like to cover I, myself in butter and just slide around the floor. Eat it by the spoonful. Yeah. And anti-flying. <laughs> what? You're anti-flying. Why? Because I'm You're, slipping around on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I can like guide discussion a little bit if you guys want or if you want to jump into it. I was going to say, I think this movie, because of its history with witches, has an interesting commentary about... I mean, forgive me, this is just the terminology, but like female oppression, right? And I know a lot of people hate this word, but like patriarchy, right? Obviously, we're looking at a society of male dominance and a male-dominated religion, and we're seeing how all of that affects young Thomason. Learning about what causes the witch trials, it really just sounds like a bunch of incels got together and they were like, how can we do the most damage to women humanly possible yeah but again they all thought that women were just naturally evil and that they were prone to these things how have you cursed us into doing (laughs) this podcast so one interpretation of the ending i've seen people perceive this movie as like a liberative movie like her ending is liberation from the um very oppressive male-dominated um society that she lives in I kind of don't think it's liberation because, first of all, we see Satan as a man, so she's just going from one man to another. And also, you know, the the witch rules is another one that controls the female body. So she's really just trading one, one system for another. She's just going from one polar to the other polar. Um, well, so. I mean, the devil offers her the world and... God knows she's staying. But first he offers her butter. <laughs> yeah, butter. Oh, the butter didn't get you? Well, I guess you can travel right. the world. Well, and, and then there's, there's the argument of like, you know, did she, did she take his offer because she simply had nothing left? Or did she have that evil within her all along? Like, was, was she, is she really just an evil woman and she was prone victim to the devil because she's a woman and she has womanly needs, you know? I was going to say, I think one of the things that I struggled with the most with this film is I don't see the motivation for her to turn to the devil. Yeah, I don't, Um, because it doesn't seem like she's intrigued by witchcraft. She's scared of it. She's seen what it can do. Her whole entire family is dead, so I understand that she doesn't have anything. Yeah, I I interpret it as... She has nothing left, the devil having destroyed everything that she had and that she has nowhere left to turn. There is also the interpretation that as the Puritans believed that she was filled with that evil all along and that she was secretly drawn to it. I just didn't see that secret draw to it, in my opinion, very much. You know, when she milks the goat and it's, it, it's blood, it scares her. I mean, she doesn't seem at all like intrigued by it. She just it, she's, mm-hmm. she's scared of it. How I thought it was going to go, which... You know, this is a significantly different ending. 
I thought it was going to be that she is condemned as a witch, like falsely condemned as a witch. And then the the actual witch goes back into the woods and is going to do the next, uh, going to take the next family that lives there because the town thinks they dealt with the witch. When I said this, Stefan pointed out like Night of the Living Dead. They think mm-hmm. they got the right guy. Yeah. And that's the end. That's what I thought was going to happen. But it definitely was not that. Yeah. The other thing I was going to say was there's also the concept of it being a self-fulfilling prophecy when everything's falling apart, her family and her mom especially keeps telling her that you're a witch, you're a witch, you're awful, you've cursed us, you've done all these things. Perhaps through that process, she's finally like, you know, like, screw it, I am a witch. Damn you. You know? Very similar to Megamind, (laughs) where everyone tells him he's the bad guy. And he goes, you know what? Fine. If you're all going to perceive me as the bad guy, I'm going to be the bad guy. Yeah, so there's there's that interpretation of it as well. Um, also, another movie it's very similar to, uh, Boss Baby. Yeah. That, yeah, that one scene the, Boss Baby. The goat goring scene. Uh-huh. <laughs> Love it. And finally, we have, at the end of the day, despite all our theories and interpretations and analysis, we have something perhaps a bit more simple throughout the movie. They are starving. They cannot eat because they cannot farm because his crops are dying. And on these crops, Miles, we see black spots. Oh, really? Black spots that Damn. are a symptom of ergrot, yeah. which is an agricultural fungi that can cause fevers, muscle convulsions, paralysis, and it has neurotropic qualities that can cause panic and hallucinations. That shit kills towns. Yeah. So I think this is a beautiful little caveat and is a good summary of witch hysteria in general where everyone is going nuts about these things and superstitious things when at the end of the day there's something far more logical but also sinister going on. Honestly, I'd say that is probably more sinister than witches. What are witches doing, you know? Killing a couple babies here and there so they can fly for a little bit? I can handle it. It's just the baby tax. Everyone, I mean, it's the 1600s. You're going to lose a kid. Yeah, like, say la vie, it happens. Que sera, sera. Ergrat? Nah, that shit kills everyone. Yeah, I remember it's like so that obviously that's what I was gonna say about the Salem witch trials is that's a theory. Another theory I think is just like black mold. Interesting. Anyway, I just want to say a couple last thoughts that I have about this movie, which I'll is give you permission. Thank you, Miles. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not a huge fan of this film. Mm-hmm. It's uh, in, horror in, movies in general are it wasn't hit, hit as, and miss. It wasn't as horror as I thought it was going to no, be. No, no. It's a slow burn. Yeah. It's more historical than anything. Yeah. Well, because like while watching it, I was just having a good time listening to the Puritans do their little Puritan talk and talking about corn. Well, and that's, that's one thing that I really enjoyed was the historical accuracy. I mean, you talking about how they built cottages the mm. way that cottages were built. Super cool. Very impressive. And I like, yeah, the language, not impossible to understand mm-hmm. um, yeah. and pretty cool. I do think with how specific some of the things were, it was like a little bit lost on me. And I think probably lost on a general audience if they don't know a whole lot about witches, you know, and you telling us about it. I'm like, oh, I guess that makes sense. But yeah. if I <laughs> didn't listen to this episode or listen to you telling me that I never would have known or put that mm. together. I just been like, that's an odd choice to make in a film. Yeah. Um, anyway, I'm not, a, I'm probably won't watch this movie again. I did not care for it terribly. Mm. It's just not my cup of tea in the boards of Spike Lee. Um, that being said, I can appreciate the filmmaking and the effort that went into it. And I can appreciate that, that it is someone's cup of tea, just not mine. Yeah. The cinematography is great. I like I love naturalistic lighting, so that shit slapped. The lighting was very good. Um, like as Miles pointed out, the boy who played Caleb is phenomenal. Dude, he did really fucking yeah. good. His last little monologue before he kicks it. Yeah, I thought he was really good. Um, another thing I will say is that I honestly <laughs> felt like the music was a little heavy-handed at the beginning. Interesting. Um, nothing sinister is happening, and the music's like super sinister. And I know that it's supposed to put us on edge but i was like all right it's very akin to the shining in that regard as well where the shining has very um strong-headed music playing uh, oftentimes yeah and that's not like a bad thing but again i was just like eh, okay sorry while i have you another quick fun thing on the, the music the composer is mark croven corvin 
and they just used a lot of traditional instruments and things and the whole philosophy was they wanted like no melodies or harmonies it's just noise basically hmm. not i i wouldn't say a fun watch i i i wouldn't say i would recommend it to somebody if i'm honest i've seen all of eggers things now i'm not a huge eggers fan no uh, you, his I style mean, is just not not for me you're exactly not into these kind of things no i would classify this as a fun watch for myself i've seen this movie like four times now. i also liked it I like cuckoo crazy things. I love the night lighthouse because it's just my two boys going cuckoo crazy in a lighthouse. It's like, what is there not to love about that? Because I, again, they talk funny. <laughs> yeah. They, they I, talk funny in the lighthouse too. They talk funny. I I was in it. Watching them just kind of literally play a game of Among Us. <laughs> Among Us. Where they are just like, it was you. Oh, shit. Well, it wasn't that person. Okay, fine. It was you. Oh, that's funny. I, I think the movie would be way different if they had, as a family, been like, damn, there's something in those woods. Like, if they didn't play this whole, like, it was you. No, it was you. And they were like, no, it's a third party. There's, it's something in the woods. Also, I know, like, films rely on miscommunication. If thomason had told her father like every detail about what happened in the woods with caleb and she mentioned that fucking hair yeah. and how he tried to get it i'm sure the father would be like oh shit yeah. i had the same experience maybe it's not thomason maybe i'm not gonna lock my kids in a fucking goat barn maybe i'm gonna take my kids away because maybe it's something in the woods yeah mayhaps hysteria not does saying it to you. caleb could say much after no. Getting absolutely sloshed by a witch, but also if he had been like, hey, I found some fucking place in the woods and the lady like gave me a little smoochie, then maybe the dad would have been like, oh, well, don't, one, first, don't talk to strangers. Secondly, was it a woman? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a fun movie. I like, I really like doing the research and learning the lore behind it. I personally don't think the lore is necessary. I know it helps explain things, but I also... I'm a I'm a fan for not knowing shit, which is again why I, why I had fun like doing the research and being like, oh okay, I get it. I'm understanding now how like everything I'm reading about witches is conglomerated into this movie. Um, so I really enjoyed that. Again, I really enjoy the cinematography, the dialogue, the language is wonderful. Even the editing, I, we haven't really talked about the editing. I think the editing is great. Yeah, I mean the the whole peekaboo scene with the baby. Is, oh, that was good. good. It's yeah, just it like good. that's just the Kuleshov effect right there. Yeah. Or yeah, uh, while we were watching it, and you were like, "All right, is he gonna cut on this one? Is yeah. it gonna be this act swing that does mm-hmm. it?" And you're like, "Okay, yeah." Oh yeah, and this is also the this is the first movie that we've covered on this podcast that we all watched together at yes. the same time. Yes. I should yep. say. Yeah. A little cool. team bonding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Which I just want to point out, man, what a drought of ingredients it must be to live in the middle of the woods. You want to do your favorite spell? You need a baby. But when you're living in the middle of nowhere, like, you can't go down to the baby store. Yeah, so you got to wait like nine months. and then, Literally, you know. she jumped. She was like, oh, ho, ho. Fucking if someone, delivery. If someone came walking down my street with an Xbox One. Yeah. Gone. All right, guys. Should we rate it? Yeah. yeah. I liked it. I thought it was fun. It wasn't very spooky to me, mainly because uh, my little little boy brain was just thinking of goofy things the entire time. Devil goats well, offering you mundane yeah. things as a reward for becoming a witch. It's also hard when you giggle every time you see boobies or a butt <laughs> yeah. or something. Yeah. So I liked it. I would watch it again. Uh, during the October months, I could see this being like a, hey, let's watch The Witch. I'm going to give it six goats offering you butter out of 10. You know what? 6.5 for uh, historical accuracy. I'm going to give it seven goat gorings out of 10. This is a very specific niche of mine, which is people going crazy in isolation is just a favorite film of mine, like a a genre. And I really like this. I really like the way they talk. I really like early American history. So this is just hitting like a lot of marks for me. Um, I think the acting is good. It's got child actors that I don't hate. I think they do a very good job. Um, And everything else discussed. So 7 out of 10. 7 out of 10. Mariah? 
because this film is so not my thing, mm-hmm. I feel like any rating doesn't like work. So I'm just going to go ahead and go exactly middle of the road and give it five. Five, five devil twins out of ten. Wanna I come play with us? Just because I don't love this type of movie doesn't mean I can't appreciate the filmmaking. Uh, but I have no desire to ever see this film again, and I'm okay not seeing it again. And uh, I, I didn't love it, but yeah. I feel like if I go any lower, that's kind of doing a disservice to everything that went into it. So, yeah, it was a good indie film. All right. All right. Mariah? Uh, yeah. What's next? Well, we've got one more spooky movie in store for you this month. Um, and the next episode is going to be the classic The Exorcist. so uh super excited so anyway that's gonna be the next episode so stay tuned for that bad boy but in the meantime you can follow us on social media we are on twitter and instagram mostly instagram at this point at the takes it took yeah it's not even twitter now oh yeah whatever oh um but if you would like to send us any email, any correction, addition, comment, suggestion for a future episode, you can do so at thetakesittook at gmail.com. And uh, we might shout you out and read out your question or comment in the next episode. But until then, stay safe, have fun, watch movies, and don't talk to goats. Easy as. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. Can you guys give me some of your best Enochian chanting? I don't even know what a Nokian chanting is. Yeah. So. Bye. <laughs> you didn't give me a chance to do my... No, because I didn't think you were going to do one. Cause well, I started it, then you jumped I, well, in. Well, right as I did it. It was like simultaneous. We'll see. You, can you see always cut me off.